Intentions, a steamy enemies to lovers office romance by Carmen Falcone. Playing it safe after a messy divorce, assisted living HR director Nikki Brady focuses on raising her twin boys and caring for her grandmother. But when her friends dare her to buy a hot guy drink, sparks fly until she finds out he's her new boss. Eager to gain his father's approval and cut corporate costs, Cole Myler is determined to move the retirement community they acquired out of its current location. But after discovering the sexy brunette he kissed at the bar is rallying the residents to resist the transfer, he doesn't know if he should fire her or take the kiss they shared to the next level. Battling to keep her grandma from being sent away, Nikki doesn't count on falling for her enemy. And just as Cole embraces his scorching desire for the quirky single mom, Meeting her sons triggers his most traumatic childhood memory and threatens the promise of a future with Nikki. Bad Intentions is the steamy first book in the Bad Girls Club contemporary romance series. If you like swoony alpha heroes, sizzling chemistry, and a dash of humor, then you'll adore Carmen Falcone's hot office romance. That's Bad Intentions, a steamy enemies to lovers office romance, and it's 99 cents. Go grab it now. Welcome back to another week of Read Me Romance. Hey, lady listeners. What's going on? What's, I'm waiting like they can answer me. I don't even know why. I, <laughs> like, I say it like a question. Like somebody's just going to shout through the thing. You know what? There's some mom in her car hiding from her kids right now going, hey, hey, I'm right here. Probably. <laughs> we see you, lady. We see you. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, welcome back. We have got a brand new book from Rebecca Gallo. It is called Heart Campaign and she is like she's so sweet. She's been so nice on emails. She's super enthusiastic. So I kind of feel some pressure to not let her down. I don't oh, know gosh. why. But I'm like, she's so excited by this. I'm like, I don't want to fuck this up for her. Yeah. <laughs> So we'll talk about her awesome giveaway, the book you're about to hear, all her good stuff in just a minute. Um, before that, I have a couple of things I wanted to talk about. What'd you do this weekend? That's that's on the top of the list. I have other stuff to discuss, but before we get too far, did you have a good weekend? Did you do anything? I didn't really do much. I had a bad headache one day. And that's so I laid worst. in bed and I read somehow. I read a, Je- a Jessa Dean trilogy that I had put off for a little bit because I was worried it wasn't going to be for me, but it was stupid because it was really good. <laughs> <laughs> Which one was it? She has um, a series where it's like called like Blue Something, where it's this, the trilogy is like three brothers. Mm-hmm. And the first guy owns like a sex club. So I was like, yeah, uh, BDSM okay, club, okay. you yeah, know, he's probably yeah. doing it with all these shit. Mm-hmm. But actually, so maybe somebody out there was like I was. I was like, mm-hmm. I don't know. But no, he owns the club, but he hasn't been very like an active participant in years. Like he's super bored until, of course, Ooh. this girl shows up. And then, boom, you meet all the other brothers. And I was like down the rabbit hole of the trilogy. I love it. That's awesome. <laughs> So See, it was really dirty and really it's rare when you can it's rare when you can find that and it's safe or you know when it's yeah. it's not as bad as you expect it to be 
And you get a little bit of everything. Like the first one is he's like a dom sub. The second one is hardcore daddy, which is her best friend and plays into all that. So it was nice. Good. I know I talked about last time I'd finished my last Mariana Zapata book. There's one left, but it's not an audio. So I'm just going to wait till it comes out. We were talking about something in headquarters and one of our admins, Carrie, somebody asked a question and it, they said like, what's a good, oh, we're like a hero. Like maybe there's like a, he, you think he cheats, but he doesn't or something like that. It was some yeah. kind of obscure thing someone asked for. And I was like, on Dublin Street, that's always my favorite one to, yeah. to recommend. I haven't thought of that book in forever. That book came out, and I looked it up. It came out and on August 31st, I think. She, she just posted about it. So the last day in August in 2012. I bought it October 1st, 2012. So right after it came out, this is her first book. And I read it, and I was obsessed with this book. Obsessed. And so I had read a couple of the other books in the series and they're, they're pretty good, but the first one is just untouchable. It's so, so good. And I, don't know what it, I like that angst as much as I don't like angst, the mm-hmm. angst of where you think they cheated, but they really didn't. I, I don't know. know why I enjoy oh, that. So good. But I do for some reason, fucked up reason in my mm-hmm. head. Yeah. So it's just like, I mean, I guess that's kind of a little spoiler. I don't, I don't, I don't think it's, it's this not is integral like, to the book. This book has been around. So. Yeah. It's, it's been around since 2012. Like I said, it was a New York Times bestseller. Like it's one of her best selling books of all time. If you had it, haven't read it, you really should. Um, but Carrie mentioned in the comments, she was like, the audio is just perfection. And I was like, Oh my God, I never even thought about playing an audio. But she's right. There's a woman who narrates it, and she does a male Scottish accent that, like, gives me chills. It's so good. So I went this, like, this past weekend, I listened to On Dublin Street in audio, and it's like 10 hours, I guess. Mm -hmm. Holy fuck. It was so, so good. And I forgot how much I liked it. And the reason I like it so much, I think, is because, you know... It's not, it's safe with exceptions because he's with someone. He has a girlfriend when they meet and he and his girlfriend break up shortly after. So that's, you know, kind of in the beginning. And then there's a moment too. And again, he's still not with the heroine yet where he is like seen with another woman out at breakfast or something. And that's just, you know, it's explained, but whatever. But other, when they get together, there's no other, when they finally agree, like, okay, let's just fuck this out of our systems. There's no one else after that. It's been so long. I can't even remember all of it. Yeah. It's just, it's so, so good. So like she, and then this is like, in the, um, the preface of the book, her whole family, her mom and dad and her sister are killed in a car accident. She's in middle school, I think. And so she bounces around in foster care until she goes to college. And then so she goes to Edinburgh in Scotland. Her mother was Scottish. So she has dual citizenship. So she goes to Scotland. She leaves. She's like, I got to get out of here. Like, everybody remembers what happens. Like, you know, her parents had left her some money. Every so. time. Yeah. Every time somebody sees her, they're like, oh, yeah, she's you? even girl. though it's like 10 years later. Yeah. It's like, yeah. So she decides to go to Edinburgh and what happens is, is she's graduating. She's looking for a new flat. She doesn't, she realizes like if she lives alone, she'll isolate herself too much because she wants to be a writer and she knows she has a tendency to like be depressive like that. Mm -hmm. So she's like, I'm forcing myself to have a roommate. And so she meets this really bubbly, like complete sunshine. This like Jocelyn in the book, she's the grouchy, grumpy one and her roommates like the sunshine, happy one. 
And so, and then Brayden is just like this super possessive, like, oh, caveman, you know? And so um, she moves in. And so the first time they officially meet, she's completely naked. Like she comes out of the bathroom. I remember that. Yeah. She comes out of the bathroom looking for a towel and he's standing there. And like he just openly stares at her. He's like, hi. (laughs) She's like, and like she doesn't even try to cover herself up because she's like, I could be embarrassed, but I don't want to give him the satisfaction. So I'm just going to be pissed. And she's yeah. like, what the fuck do you want? What are you looking at? You know, like this kind of mm-hmm. thing. And it's just, I loved her attitude. And so her whole, like, push against him is that she's afraid to love because she knows that loving someone means that she'll lose them. Yeah. And so she actually sees a therapist in the book. And there's, you know, this this healing journey that goes along with, with it. And it's so beautifully written. And her love story with him. And he's just so steadfast and obsessive and... He's he's such a wonderful hero. It's a great, great book. If you haven't read it, it's um on Dublin Street by Samantha Young. The audio is impeccable. It's so good. Um, I downloaded um there's also two bonus books with this couple. There's um their proposal and then their wedding. That's a standalone book. And then there's like a Halloween one um that comes up later. And so that's kind of like a check-in with them. So those are all out there. The the extended first one is an audio too, so I'll listen to that. And I downloaded the second book and it's good. Like I'm enjoying it, but it's definitely, it doesn't have that, like that angst maybe that the first one does. Like it's definitely missing that. I mean, there should be angst, but it's almost like they're enemies when in the first book, they weren't enemies at all. She just was like, this is not going to happen. Yeah. So you're talking about this makes me think of wanting to go back and read the Blackstone Affair. Yes, yes. I actually thought about that the other day. Rain Miller posted up the photo that inspired the book where it's the girl on her back with mm-hmm. her legs in the air. Yeah. Oh my God. That book when is you so said good. that, I was like, oh, it took me back to that book and that trilogy. Yeah. That's she such a good a one. whole book, like at the end of that trilogy, like a fourth book where it's mm-hmm. just like a giant epilogue. Uh huh. And warm, it's like, gooey, isn't awesome like cake. Her- isn't there one with, like, her kids or something? Don't mm-hmm. they, doesn't she have a book? Like, she does, like, their whole family. She went back in time because she really likes to write historical. Mm-hmm. So she, like, went back in time and did, like, his ancestors and stuff. Oh, that's right. Because there's a photo or a painting in his house mm-hmm. where it's, like, a Contessa or something. And she's like, I wonder who that is. And I think that's the story she went and wrote was, like, the painting and that. Yeah. Like, and inspired that story, which is just really cool. So... Um, one thing I do want to mention, I have on this list to talk about, and I've talked about this author named J.M. Buckler. I've talked about her twice on the podcast. Once I talked about, um, she worked for a, um, a charity in Austin, Texas called Key to Free, where they help victims of sex trafficking. They help them. It's like a, I don't know if it's a halfway house or if it's just like a home that helps them, um, like reestablish themselves, gives them a safe place to live. And the other time I talked about her, I said she had kind of gone off the rails and she got off the internet and I hoped that, you know, she could like get herself together and and come back and be in a better place. And that has not happened. (laughs) So I just want to be clear that I have talked, I have talked about her before. I haven't read her book. She writes, uh, like, um, maybe young adult sci-fi or something. She has not only lost the plot, but she is gripping like grim death to her determination on this her 
and it's not even the topic that she's gone off before, but her way of thinking and the way she is right now is Mm -hmm. something that scares the ever-loving shit out of me. Like, it is one of my biggest fears to think I'm caught in something and think I'm so right Mm -hmm. and think I'm actually helping a group when you are actually doing the exact opposite. Yeah, and it's yeah. like you're trapped in that mindset. I, I truly think that's, I don't, I mean, maybe not. Maybe she's totally lucid. But I feel like, yes, that she is in so deep I don't so think it's a crazy this. thing. It's you really believe that. That's like your reality. Yes. The, her reality is that she's a social justice warrior. Yes. So I'm like, that's what you always got to remember is your reality is not always everybody's reality. Yeah. Yeah. And she's like, she's, I just want to say that just because I have spoken about her those other two times and she's no longer affiliated with the charity and, and, in Texas and stuff. And she's gone out and done her own thing. But, um, it's just one of those things where I think I even mentioned it to you before when we were talking, like, it's one thing for someone to have these opinions. It's another thing to give them a platform. And I just don't want to do that anymore. So just in case there's that, (laughs) like it's, it, it's sad and it is sad, but it's not surprising. But it's always good, yeah. It's it's just a reminder to sometimes check yourself, you know. Sometimes when you are having a hard time understanding somebody else and you think they're completely wrong, just to step back, evaluate what they said, and then kind of say it back and understand their side. And then sometimes it can help you have a better understanding. I think think there's a gigantic lack of empathy maybe that's happening here. Just, you know, being able to appreciate that you're not right. Maybe yeah. you're maybe you're not wrong, but maybe you're not right. <laughs> you you know, know, I don't even know uh-huh. if I want to get on this topic, but my friend said something to me the other day. She was like, it's probably so bad. I probably shouldn't tell. She's like, why aren't we getting just angry? Why aren't we burning shit down? <laughs> and I was, she said, we're like, they don't believe us. They don't believe we're going to burn shit down. We should burn some shit down. I was like, I actually kind of do feel like burning some shit down. <laughs> and then maybe yeah. they'll listen to us. Let's start with Ted Cruz's house. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't say that. We didn't mean what, it. What is that? I want to wake up and choose violence tomorrow. <laughs> You're going to wake up and choose violence. Yeah. Yeah, you should. I don't see a problem with this at all. This can't go wrong. <laughs> um, so um, I also went to a, um, I went to our local bookstore uh, yesterday. I went with Abby Knox. Um, they were, they are so nice there. A friend of mine actually ended up getting a job part-time there as um, a barista. So I've talked about it before. The name of the bookstore is called Editions, like editions of books. You know, like the book is the first edition. So Editions is, um, it's an old house in Kannapolis, North Carolina. It's about 40 minutes from here. And um, they have a coffee shop in the house. And the house is also a bookstore. So like where there's a bedroom, it's just shelves of books. And they have this gigantic romance section. It's incredible. And so, um, the owner was there this time, um, or one of the owners, she was there and she asked about, you know, us doing a book signing and stuff. And so I talked to her about it and I was like, yeah, I said, you know, I'll definitely do one. I said, I don't know, like, you know, if anybody will show up, <laughs> like they may not, this is kind of in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. You know, normally when we do book signings, they're, um, 
like big conventions and you yeah, know people can people really come, plan out a trip and stuff yeah and, and it's like to a destination and this mm-hmm. maybe isn't a destination for people but yeah you know but she was really nice like they do a lot of author signings local author signings so she was like it's okay you know sometimes we have one person come when sometimes we have five like she says not a big deal and I was like Okay, so maybe more than one. I'm just going to call my entire family <laughs> to come. So, <laughs> no big deal. But um, but it's such a cute little place. I wish we had one that was a bit closer, but but this one is so cool. And I posted it on um, Instagram. And I said, does anyone live close to here? And there was about 30 people. They were like, yeah, it's like right, or, like right nearby. So, I was really surprised that there were people who follow us that yeah. actually live around there. I was like, oh, that's kind of crazy. So... More than I thought, at least. So, but it's such a it's such a cute little place. So, I want to shout them out. If you are near Kannapolis, North Carolina, make sure you go check out Editions because they are. How just, far is that from like one of the major cities there? Um, I think it's probably it's le- I think it's less than an hour from Charlotte. Maybe okay. it'd be like two hours from Raleigh. Charlotte would be the biggest one that would be close to it. Um, Winston Salem would be another one that's probably pretty close. So. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's it's a cute little spot. And then um, this past weekend, uh, I went with the same person that's the barista at the coffee shop. It was her birthday. And so we went to an outlet mall in Gaffney. And it was like, that was about an almost two-hour drive for us to get down there. And we get there. And I used to go to Gaffney outlets all the time when I was younger. Um, it was like the place to go before school started. Like, because it had every single, it was like an outdoor mall, you know? Do you know what that is? Like a, like yeah, an outlet? Yeah, we, okay. we have outlet oh. malls here. Okay, so we get there, and we, like, get a parking spot, like, right up front, and we will start walking around, and it's like a ghost town. And it was really creepy, because everything was open, but nobody was there. Weird. And we were like, what the fuck? Like, this is so strange. And so, we went to a couple of shops, and we got some stuff. By the way, Kate Spade had 70% off, plus an additional 20% off. So I know I got like a wallet for like $10. Like it was so cheap. So anyways, um, so we left and we went to a restaurant that was near there and we were sitting down and we were talking to the waitress and I was telling her, I was like, this is crazy. Like this place used to be hopping. And she was like, yeah, she said it was actually before the pandemic. It was like this. She said, I think it's mostly due to Amazon. And I was like, really? And she said, yeah, it's just put a big, big like hurting on these you know, places that you would normally have to go into to shop, but now you can get anything you want on Amazon and return. It's just so easy. And she said, I think even maybe Amazon bought this place out. She said, last I heard, they had bought the outlet stores. And she said, I don't know if they're just letting them go or what. Interesting. I know. So we ended up leaving there and we went to, we went, we came back through Charlotte on the way back and we stopped in another outlet mall that was there thinking like, okay, we'll try this one. And there was a a few more people there. They had some more higher end stores, but, um, yeah, it was just really surprising. I couldn't remember the last time I had been to an outlet mall like that before, but I thought like, oh, okay, this one's outdoor. Like it'll still be nice. We can walk around outside. But it was just so eerie, like, being in a place like that. And I wondered, like, do people not just shop there anymore? I don't know. Like, my kids never – well, they might be too young, so they'll never ask to go 
I remember going to the mall like every weekend, getting a burger yeah. from Orange Julius and walking mm-hmm. around and getting 12 items for $10 from Claire's. And, yep. <laughs> you know, but they don't ever ask for, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's Maybe that's a just thing. a generational thing. Maybe it's not a thing anymore. Maybe not. But at the same time, I don't go shopping in stores anymore either now that I think about it. Yeah. Even with my kids, mm-hmm. I'll just buy stuff and return it online. And it's not even necessarily Amazon I'm buying through for clothes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but I'm not a big, I don't like to go places. So <laughs> I don't yeah. know if I should count. <laughs> well, there's like a few shops that I feel like I have to go try things on at. Um, but maybe that's just like a plus size thing. I don't know. I feel like the, my sizes are so subjective. Like I went into the old Navy they had there and I had to size down two sizes to put on jeans. And I was like, I'm not a 16, but this is what I'm wearing right now. This is not accurate, but okay. Like, if you want to vanity size me, I'm here for it. <laughs> but this is not accurate. But it was one of those, I knew Old Navy was like that. Like, they always had to size down in their stuff. And so, but like, Torrid, I'm a pretty solid size in it. But, you know, there's some stores, like, weirdly i can't wear anything in american eagle they don't carry extended sizes but airy does they're like yeah pa- like pajama their loungewear and underwear stuff all of their stuff i well their bras i can't obviously but but like all of their loungewear i got like a like a um like a jumpsuit kind of thing it was like shorts and a sweatshirt t- attached mm-hmm. like That's a, a yeah like a romper it's like a sleep romper i was like this is cute as fuck and it fit so, like, that was really strange. You know, it's shit like that where it's like, okay, you kind of have to shop for it. But, I mean, you know, it was my friend's birthday. This is, she wanted to go shopping. And it was, it was fun to get out of the house and yeah. still do some stuff. So, I don't know. I just wondered if maybe, like, malls just aren't a thing anymore. I don't know. I know here we have a couple of them. But I always got, like, the mall I used to hang out, they just let it die. And then they built a new one, like. Sorry five miles away i'm like why did you let one die and it's like just sitting there i don't know it's like they die out in areas and then they move them but now they used to that when i but that was a big city i went to jersey like six months ago we went to the mall and it was slammed like we had to wait in line to get into a store they had it at the second um outlet store we went to they had the nike and the adidas they had lines to get inside and I don't know if that was just, like, people, you know, back to school shopping or people, there was, like, a new shoe or something like that that people were waiting on. But most of the other stores were pretty easy to get into, no problem. But, I mean, I don't know. It, it's just, it maybe it's just something that changes over time. You know, with the, like, I was thinking about today, the way people read has changed so much just since, you know, we've been around, who who's to say that shopping hasn't done the same? Yeah. And just in-store shopping just doesn't happen as much anymore. People have gotten so used to that two-day shipping from Amazon. That's what I it know. is. <laughs> That's what spoiled us. It is. <laughs> all right. So let's talk about Rebecca Gallo. Let's talk about all her good stuff before we run out of time and we just have to play her book. <laughs> so I pulled up her author bio and it's really cute. Rebecca Gallo was first indoctrinated into the romance genre by her babysitter who watched hours upon hours of daytime soap operas. She harbored many inappropriate crushes on fictional characters such as John Black from Days of Our Lives, Ori Main from the miniseries North and South, I know that one girl, and Edward Fairfax Rochester from Jane Eyre. 
She is still in love with Davy Jones from the Monkees, <laughs> which I think is ridiculous. Rebecca currently lives in the Southwest with her husband, tiny four-year-old Terror, and a tuxedo cat with a limp. When she isn't swooning over book boyfriends or dreaming up romances, she can be found educating the youth of America or eating tacos. <laughs> so, the book she's brought us this week that you're about to hear is called Heart Campaign. And this is the book buy for this one that you're about to hear. Like any good politician, Sean Wallace is always campaigning for something. This time, it's me. He's, in chief, he's the chief of staff to the President of the United States of America and my co-worker. After two years of working side by side, he thinks he knows me. He doesn't know the pain and heartache I've endured or that I'm a widow. Am I ready to move on? The thought of forgetting the man I loved terrifies me, but so does the idea of being alone for the rest of my life. Is Sean my second chance at love? There's only one way to find out. So Rebecca is giving away signed copies of Presidential Promise Duet as the prize this week. Um, she has three new releases coming up. And then parentheses on her, when she replied, she went, ah! <laughs> so, um, October I got anxiety, and I'm not even her. I'm like, three. <laughs> I know, three new releases coming up. So, it's from now until the end of the year. So, uh, October 2nd is Daddy in Disguise, a Forget-Me-Not. Oh. <laughs> oh, and Forget-Me-Not. Those are two different ones in October. And then one, um, okay, so that's two in October, one in November. It's called Room 12, King with a Kink. These are all novellas. I will also be attending Shameless Book Con in November. Hell yeah. Unless it's canceled. <laughs> that's what she said on there. Um, best places to follow are on my Facebook and Instagram and my newsletter. I'll send links for it. So we'll post all those links and stuff. Down the bottom, she said, also, Campaign Heart is the one that you're about to listen to. We'll be live when the first episode of this goes up. So, if reader and listeners want to purchase, you can. It'll be in Amazon and in Kindle Unlimited, so you can grab it. I'll link all that up for you guys. Yep, so it'll be on there. So, let's play the first installment of Heart Campaign by Rebecca Gallo, and we'll see you on the other side. This is Heart Campaign by Rebecca Gallo, read for you. By Kit Swan. One. From the other side of the door, Linda Ronstadt blares, singing about how her lover is no good. This is probably the fifth time in a row the First Lady, Georgie Martin, has played the song, and when it ends, it quickly starts again. This isn't looking good for me, or for the man approaching. President Jameson Martin. Sir, I stay, holding up my hands and stepping in front of the door. I'd advise you not to go in there. President Martin places his hands on hips and sighs. How long has she been listening to Heart Like a Wheel? She hasn't made it through the full album yet, I inform him. He cocks his head and works his bottom lip through his teeth. Well, she hasn't gotten to the Spanish albums yet, so I might have a chance. He steps forward, but I'm still blocking his entrance. There's a brief, tense stare down between the two of us before I move out of the way. It's your funeral, I murmur as he passes me. I've been the First Lady's chief of staff for almost two years. It's my job to know her and her moods, and right now, According to her choice of music, she's not in a very good one. 
You shouldn't talk to him like that. My head snaps up, and my gaze lands on Sean Wallace, the president's chief of staff and best friend. He's handsome in an all-American kind of way with his two blonde hair and bright blue eyes. His navy blue jacket seems to be molded to his broad chest and shoulders, making me wonder what he looks like underneath the fine tailoring and fabric. He's also one of the biggest assholes I've ever met. My job is to help the first lady, I tell him, and that's what I'm trying to do. It's not my fault you can't control him. That's his wife, he says, pointing to the door behind me. If he wants to see her, then no one is going to stop him. She's also pregnant, hormonal, and has just been told she can't accompany her husband on a week-long trip to Canada. Give her some fucking space. The door creaks open, and the president pokes his head out. Not to bother either of you, but we can hear your bickering. So take your foreplay somewhere else. Mrs. Martin needs her rest. Before he closes the door, he aims his gaze directly at Sean and winks. Seriously? I grunt with frustration as I push past Sean and hurry to my office. This is what it's been like since I was hired to be the first lady's chief of staff. Whenever Sean and I are in the same room together, there's friction. He needles me until I react, and then I get in trouble because he is the president's best friend. Hey. I hear Sean behind me, which only makes me move faster. The quicker I can get back to my office, the better. Mallory, stop. Just as I reach the door, a hand closes around my bicep, halting me. Mallory. I hate the way he says my name. There's a hint of annoyance in his tone, but it's softened by something else. Familiarity, maybe. Not done scolding me? I snap, turning to face him. He sighs, runs a hand across his face, and says, The president is stressed. All of this impeachment bullshit has gotten under his skin. It's making us all crazy, Sean. The last thing she wants is to be separated from him, especially during a time like this. He's traveled without her dozens of times. You don't get it, I say, shaking my head, remembering the first lady's disastrous trip to Finland. She was pregnant at the time and suffered a devastating miscarriage. It's clear from the president's actions he's been thinking about that trip. He doesn't want to put her in danger, even if that means keeping her at home. The way he loves her is powerful. More than once, I've watched them and found myself envious of their relationship, jealous of the connection they share. I turn, open the door to my office, and disappear before the tears come, hot and fast. Part of my job is to know the First Lady intimately, as if she and I were best friends. There is so much about her I've learned over these last few years, and yet I wonder how much she knows about me. Does she know my secrets and the pain I carry in my heart? I reach up to swipe away the tears, but soon find myself falling backward into the arms of a very surprised Sean. He didn't realize I was leaning against my office door when he opened it, causing me to tumble back. 
What don't I get? He asks, pushing me upright, his hands lingering much longer than expected once I'm steady on my feet. I brush away the wetness from my cheeks and sniffle. What are you talking about? You said I don't get it when we were talking about the president and the first lady. What exactly don't I get? I lean my head back and sigh. Drop it, okay? When I face him again, his mouth is set in a firm line, and his arms are crossed over his burly chest. He clearly expects an answer. You don't seem to understand their relationship, okay? Do you even watch them when they're together? The way he looks at her, it's magical. His face scrunches up as if I offended him in some way. That's garbage. They might have started out in a unique situation, but they're no different from any other couple. You call having her pretend to be his fiancée a unique situation? I roll my eyes. You really are clueless, Sean. And what makes you an expert on relationships? He's pushed all my buttons in only a short amount of time. Normally, I can keep it together. I can keep my emotions bottled up, but not today. Not now. Because I've had what they have. I've had the magic. I know what it feels like to have someone look at me the way the president looks at his wife. Mallory. I can't stand the pity I hear in his voice. He doesn't even know the whole story, and yet... I can tell he feels sorry for me. What happened? He's dead. Now get out of my office. Two. I manage to avoid Sean over the next few days as I prepare for the First Lady to accompany her husband to Canada. Even though the First Lady is a shrewd negotiator, I knew the President would give in to her demands. He rarely denies her anything. Unfortunately, I won't be attending this trip, which is too bad because I was hoping for a glimpse of the French and Canadian prime ministers, both of whom could give the president a run for his money in terms of looks. Are you sure you want to leave all of this to Jessa? The first lady asks me as she reviews her schedule for the visit. With the first lady gone, I can finally take a few days off and let Jessa Smalls, the deputy chief of staff, handle the chaos. She's still new. I roll my eyes. Mrs. Martin, she's been here almost six months. She is very capable of filling in for me. You know you can call me Georgie like everyone else, right? My cheeks heat. I do, but it doesn't feel right. She shrugs. So, what are your plans while you're on vacation? Sleep, I half joke. Being the first lady's chief of staff is almost a 24-hour job, which means getting very little rest once my day is done. I don't tell her about my plan to visit Arlington National Cemetery. Telling anyone about what I lost still feels too personal. Sean is taking a few days off, too, she says with a hum to her voice, her gaze sliding over to me. She raises her eyebrows and wiggles them a few times. Are you implying that we're... I can't even finish the sentence. The thought of being alone with him in any sort of romantic capacity 
makes me shudder. No, the first lady is quick to backtrack. It's just a funny coincidence, don't you think? Coincidence or not, it doesn't matter to me that Sean is also taking vacation time while the president and first lady are in Canada. It does matter to me that she seems to be insinuating something is going on between me and Sean. We aren't back in elementary school, and he certainly isn't the jerk with the secret crush teasing me. I'll admit, he's handsome, and sometimes, when he's close, I inhale the scent of his cologne because it's warm and familiar. But I am not interested in romance or having a relationship. I had it once, and finding that kind of magic again just doesn't seem possible. Can we get back to planning your schedule? The first lady settles against her chair. Sure, if that's what you want. At the end of the day, I'm exhausted walking the few blocks back to my condo in Foggy Bottom. I love the building where I live because it's so close to everything. And when the weather is nice, I can walk to the White House. Mallory. Normally, the sound of my name would make me stop and turn, but I recognize the voice. It's Sean. Annoyed, I pick up my pace, lower my head, and keep walking. There's a tug on my arm, and I nearly fall backward as Sean pulls me to a stop. Persistent bastard. Didn't you hear me calling you? He asks a little breathlessly. Yes, I did, I answer. And you didn't think to stop? Nope. He drops his hand from my arm and rocks back on his heels. What exactly have I done to piss you off? My jaw tenses. He's already gotten quite a bit of information out of me, and I can feel my secrets ready to spill. I haven't talked to anyone about the pain I've suffered or the loss I endured. Sean's been in combat. He's seen its devastation. Something deep in my gut tells me he would understand. You remind me of someone, okay? He grimaces. It must have been an ex because you don't seem to like me very much. As a matter of fact, it was someone I loved very much. He blinks. The one who died? A heaviness settles in my stomach. I want to run away. I don't want to have this conversation. I want to save all of my memories, even the horrible, gut-wrenching ones for when I'm alone. My grief is nobody's business. I don't really want to talk about him with you, I say quietly. Sean digs his hands into the pockets of his pants. I'm a pretty good listener. The smile slowly spreading across his lips is sweet and charming. Exactly what I don't want. I want him to be the rude asshole who brushes me aside, or the jerk who constantly plays devil's advocate with me during meetings. I don't want him to be nice or kind. Because it's none of your business. I say, before turning on my heel to continue my walk home. Thankfully, he doesn't follow me, and there are only a few more days until the president and first lady leave for their trip. I can avoid him. The White House is a big place with lots of places to hide, like the bowling alley. 
No one ever goes there. What I can't keep hiding from is the unchecked grief. It smacks me right in the face as soon as I walk in the door of my condo. Jeremy's picture is there, sitting on the console table in the foyer, smiling back at me. Beside it is a picture of the two of us, our senior year of high school, dancing at prom. Next to that picture is one from our wedding day. It was nothing special, just a quick elopement in Vegas, but being his wife, even if it wasn't forever, was all that mattered. And then there is the wooden box, the one made to display the flag we draped over his coffin. Don't look at me like that, I say out loud to the photographs as I pass, dropping my things next to the table before heading into the kitchen to search for a bottle of red wine. Even though Jeremy's never stepped foot in this place, his ghost haunts it. He exists in every corner because I can't let go. Not yet. Maybe not ever. Three. You were married. Sean stands in front of my desk, a grim expression on his face. Congratulations, you misused government resources to spy on me, I say. Everyone who works here has to have a background check. It's all there in black and white. Well, now that you know my big dark secret, you can leave, I tell him, pushing my chair back and standing. The first lady has a meeting with designers right now to start planning this year's Christmas decorations. I don't think that's the whole story, he says as I pass by him, gathering folders and binders from a nearby table. But I'd like to know more. I freeze. Standing up straight, I turn to face him. Why? He clears his throat and looks away briefly before making eye contact once more. Because I think you're as lonely as I am. Have a good day, I say, leaving the office with my arms full and my heart heavy. I hurry through the east wing to the conference room, which is empty. I dump all my materials onto the table and then slump into one of the chairs. Fuck, why does he have to be right? I've been lonely for so long that I've completely ignored the emptiness inside me. Jeremy's death made me feel abandoned. We planned a life together, and when he died, every promise of forever went in the grave with him. When the rawness of my pain subsided, the only thing left was a nearly empty shell. Until Sean came along and crawled inside the part of me still capable of feeling. Why are you running from me? My head snaps up, and Sean is standing in the doorway, as if my thoughts conjured him. I'm trying to get to know you. What if there's nothing worth knowing? I ask. He steps inside the room, closes the door, and slowly approaches me. I close my eyes and inhale deeply, recognizing the comforting scent of his cologne. Whatever it is, it makes my mouth water. 
The closer he gets to me, the faster my heart beats. It's not nerves or fear pulsing in my veins. It's the sweet ache of anticipation, which confuses and excites me. He stops in front of me and kneels so our gazes are level. His nearness makes me shift in my seat because my desire to keep him at arm's length is as strong as my craving to draw him closer. He grabs one of my hands and rubs it between his. I don't believe that. I'm a war widow who lucked into the most amazing job. I tell him. When Jeremy died, so did I. He shakes his head. No. He says firmly. You're still alive. You just need someone to remind you to breathe. I let out a soft chuckle. Let me guess. You? One corner of his mouth lifts into a lopsided smile. Why not? Are we interrupting? We both turn toward the doorway where the first lady and the team of White House decorators stand, staring at us with blinking eyes. Sean quickly gets to his feet, brushes a hand down the front of his shirt, and says nothing as he rushes from the room. The first lady enters with a smile on her face and a twinkle in her eye. What was that all about? Nothing, I answer. It didn't look like nothing. The first lady settles herself in a chair, spreading out snacks in front of her. She might not be able to drink her beloved iced coffee these days, but she does keep the White House chef constantly busy, making milkshakes and ice cream. It's a well-known fact the first lady has an insatiable sweet tooth, and being pregnant makes it worse. Can we get started planning? I ask, shifting nervously in my chair. Sure, but we're going to talk about this later. It's hard to focus during the meeting because I keep replaying the moment Sean held my hand in his. There was a moment of electricity when we touched, and I can't help but wonder if I felt something similar with Jeremy. I'm sure I did, but he's been gone for so long, I can't remember. Guilt surges through me, as if one moment of contact is some kind of betrayal, as if it's possible to cheat on my dead husband. When the meeting is over, I gather the folders, stacking them neatly. The first lady reaches out and places her hand over one of mine. Do you mind if I interject myself into your business? She asks. I sigh. Do I have a choice? She shakes her head. No, I'm not going to offer you advice like some sort of big sister. I just want you to know, I've hoped Sean would find someone. He and Jameson joke about his personal life all the time, but no one should live their life entirely alone. There's nothing going on between us, I insist. Mallory, I know about your husband, and I'm sure it's incredibly difficult. I shoot out of my seat. With respect, ma'am, you don't know anything about what I've gone through or anything about my marriage. You're right, Mallory. But don't you think it's a little unfair of you to know everything about me and my marriage, and yet you keep yourself closed off? 
I turn my head and face her. There's a big difference between you and me, Mrs. Martin. And what's that? I don't live my life publicly. I hurry out of the conference room and down the corridor. Right about now would be a good time to hide away in the bowling alley, if only it weren't in the basement. My heels click against the marble floors as I return to the first lady's office, hoping to drop off the folders and notes I'm clutching and make a clean getaway. I round the corner and hit the hard wall of someone's chest. Shit, I cry out, dropping everything. Papers scatter all around me, but all I see is Sean. This is too much. Why does everyone suddenly want to pry into my life? I start picking up everything that fell, muttering to myself. Sean bends to help me, handing me paper after paper. Everything is disorganized now, but I'll get it sorted during my vacation. I just want to leave, I say out loud. Okay, where do you want to go? I wasn't expecting him to listen or to even say anything, but there he is, standing in front of my office like a goddamn knight in shining armor. The Korean War Memorial. Four. This place always creeps me out, Sean says, as we wind our way through the memorial, the vacant expressions of the 19 stainless steel statues staring back at us. It was the first place that came to mind, I tell him, shrugging and giving a shy smile. Everything in this city feels so close. All I have to do is look over my shoulder and I can spot the Lincoln Memorial or the Washington Monument, and just across the river is a place that feels so far away. Arlington National Cemetery. Well, maybe we can grab dinner now. I'm grateful he hasn't asked what happened or why I was upset. He's just been there through my silence. I don't know. I'm not trying to take his place. Sean cuts me off. I'm not trying to erase your memories of him. Then what do you want? He steps closer and closer until we're toe to toe. One hand slips gently around my waist, tugging me forward. Maybe to steal a kiss, he murmurs, his gaze dropping to my mouth. My breath catches in the back of my throat, and my lashes flutter as I wait for him to make his move. As he leans in, I close my eyes, anticipating the moment when his lips will brush against mine. But it never happens. Instead, he whispers, Or hold your hand. He shifts his hold on me, so one hand rests on my waist, and the other clasps one of my hands, pressing it against his chest. I think you're beautiful, Mallory. I press my face against his chest, hiding my embarrassment. It's odd to hear those things coming from someone other than Jeremy. A part of me doesn't believe him because it still believes the only man for me was Jeremy. How could anyone else find me attractive or even love me? Wasn't I only meant to be with one man? 
Another part comes alive under Sean's touch, listening to his sweet words. Maybe my heart is big enough for more than just Jeremy. That thought alone kickstarts my fight-or-flight response. My urge to run from him is matched by my curiosity to find out what would happen if I finally took a step toward healing. The stakes are high, and risking my heart to another man is like going all in on one hand of poker. Is it worth it? There is only one way to find out. I lift my face, pop up onto my tiptoes, and brush my lips against his. When he doesn't immediately return my kiss, I freeze and wonder if I made a mistake. But then, his hand on my hip slips around my back, and he presses me tighter against his body. The other hand holding mine breaks free and tangles in my hair, tugging at the long strands. My heart beats wildly as he takes charge, deepening the kiss, teasing my lips with his tongue until I open for him, until I blossom with the desire igniting inside my belly. Amidst the ghostly witnesses of the statues, we continue to kiss. My second first kiss. I don't want it to end. Sean groans as he pulls away, resting his forehead against mine. I'm sorry, he says softly. About what? Stopping, he answers with a chuckle. I don't want to make you uncomfortable. I kissed you, remember? When he looks down at me, his blue eyes darkened, my knees tremble. How could I forget? He wraps both arms around me, hugging me close and sighs. I'd like to do it again, but maybe somewhere more private. You did mention something about dinner, I tease. And I know the perfect restaurant. It's very hard to get into, but I can probably get us a table. A half dozen restaurants filter through my thoughts. Which one? My place. My entire body tenses, and I take a step back, slipping out of his embrace. I don't know if I'm ready for that. It's just dinner, Mallory, and maybe a few more kisses. I promise to be the perfect gentleman. This is so incredibly silly, but all of my dating experience is limited to one man. When I look up at the man staring back at me, I realize I've been living in the past for too long. I've been haunted by the memory of my husband for so long, it's hard to recognize the heat in Sean's gaze. He wants me. Okay, I relent. Dinner at your place would be lovely. When he smiles, my heart seems ready to burst with an unfamiliar happiness. When he takes my hand, leading me away from the memorial, an electric energy hums through my body. 
Sean's car is parked on the street where there are usually trolleys and tour buses parked. He unlocks the passenger door and opens it for me. One thing is for certain. I'll never look at this place the same way, he says with a hint of a smile. Me too, I agree. Five. Sean's home is actually a massive condo in a luxury full-service building near DuPont Circle. I don't know why it surprises me to see him live in such an extravagant building. Maybe it's because his roots are a bit humbler than the president's. Or maybe it's because he never seemed the type to indulge in the Washington power player scene. This place is amazing, I tell him gravitating toward a wall of windows facing the city. It's more than I need, and I don't get to enjoy it often, he says, moving to stand next to me. I honestly thought you lived at the White House with the president, I tease. He sighs and thrusts his hands into his pockets. Some days I feel like I do. He faces me, and I recognize the desire in his eyes. It was there earlier at the memorial. I'm itching to touch you again. I'm not quite sure kissing you earlier is enough to satisfy me for the rest of the night. My cheeks heat from the embarrassment of my own inexperience. I don't know how to respond to that, I admit. He steps forward, reaches out, and tucks my hair behind my ear. If I cross a line, if you're uncomfortable, please tell me. Okay. The closer he gets, the faster my heart beats with anticipation, until I panic, stepping just out of his reach. Sorry, I murmur. He chuckles softly. Jameson always said it takes time to get used to me. You're not there yet but you will be. He winks playfully before excusing himself to change out of his suit. It's actually a relief when he leaves the room because now I have some time to process everything. It wasn't so long ago I couldn't stand to be in the same room as Sean, and now I'm standing inside his gorgeous condo in front of an amazing view of the city, waiting for him to come back because I just might throw myself at him. What could possibly have changed between us? I don't feel any more prepared to move on than I did last month or even last year. In fact, I'm an emotional wreck knowing in a few days I'll be visiting Jeremy at Arlington for the first time. Sean is gone longer than I expect, so I wander expelling some of my nervous energy and fighting back the doubt creeping into my heart. The living space is separated without feeling closed off from everything, and each room seems to flow into the next. The kitchen is modern and minimal, with stark white cabinets and countertops accented by stainless steel appliances. There is a small table in the dining room with enough chairs to accommodate four people, and placed against one wall is a credenza decorated with photographs. I can't help my curiosity as I walk toward them, picking the frames up to study the pictures.
Some of them are from Sean's childhood, while others show his friendship with Jameson. Seeing their relationship unfold through a series of images unexpectedly gets to me. Oh, God, I moan, reaching out to grasp the back of a chair. Mallory, what's wrong? I look up to find Sean standing at the opposite end of the dining room, his brow furrowed with seeming concern. Is this a mistake? I ask. Is it too soon to get involved with someone? Jeremy wasn't only my husband. He was my best friend. Sean crosses the room until he stands next to me and covers the hand gripping the chair with one of his. I already told you, I'm not trying to take his place or erase any memories. I respect you were married and will always love him. But you've always been an asshole to me. I don't understand what's happening between us. He sighs and offers to order dinner before talking further. At the very least, you shouldn't leave here hungry, he says, after he places the order and pours us each a glass of wine. I also notice how different he looks, wearing a pair of well-worn jeans and a faded Cleveland Browns t-shirt. He places a glass in front of me and then pulls out a chair and sits down next to me. I'm sorry if I seemed like an asshole, he says after taking a sip. After everything between Jameson and Georgie blew up, I wanted to keep my head down and my nose clean. I didn't want to cause any more trouble for them. So what you're saying is you've been interested in me for a while? One corner of his mouth lifts into an adorably crooked grin. Yes, I have. And I was stupid to think being a dick would put enough distance between us so I could focus on work and nothing else. While we're being honest, my tongue darts out and swipes along my bottom lip. There are unexpected words bubbling up inside of me, and his confident honesty gives me courage to say them out loud. I haven't felt ready to move on. Until now. Any particular reason? He's baiting me, but the answer on the tip of my tongue is the absolute truth. You. Welcome back. Hey. All right, so remember to enter this week's giveaway for the sun paperback, um, the copies of the Presidential Promises duet. Um, follow her everywhere. We're going to link everything down in the show notes and just click all that stuff. So we'll be back Thursday with the second installment of Heart Campaign. Until then. All right. Tell them what to do. Fuck your day up. Make today your bitch. Don't be a dick. Bye, guys. Bye. Read me romance. Read, read me romance.